Welcome to Home Dance Film Festival, the podcast that brings a little bit of the Sundance Film Festival to you. We typically discuss two movies that played at Sundance plus a non-Sundance movie, but we just went to Sundance virtually, so we are shaking things up a little bit. I'm Jessica. And I'm Dylan. Jessica, tell the good people what we're doing today. Well, we're going to break down the best of the fest and also... Before we do that, just give our quick impressions of the Oscar nominations, because that happened shortly after the festival ended. Yeah, and it was exciting. It wasn't as dire as I had predicted it might be. I was very happy that House of Gucci mostly got shut out. Mm -hmm. What what were your general impressions? Well, I made some notes, and going by my notes... Ooh, notes. I'm still a little bit irritated that there aren't enough women in the directing category, but at least one got in, but there are still plenty to choose from, so that's pretty annoying. Mm-hmm. Sorry, Steven Spielberg, I don't think you really needed this one, and yeah. there was probably someone else that I'm forgetting that didn't, that could have missed. Kenneth Branagh for Maybe, Belfast. Maybe, but I haven't seen that, so I don't know. And there, there definitely need to be more. I'm very happy that we have a woman in cinematography, and she better win. I hope she does. Yeah, because Power of the Dog is beautiful. Yeah, and... I'm happy that three women got into at least one of the writing categories for adapted screenplay because Maggie Gyllenhaal definitely deserves something, but then you have Sean Heater and Jane Campion, so that's pretty great. And super stoked that my girl Chastain got a nomination. She probably won't win, but I'm just happy for that other nom. Just fingers crossed. Yeah. But I was blown away by Kristen Stewart getting a nomination. I was very happy and delighted. I was not expecting that at all. Yeah, it was, seems to be a good day for people who are close to your heart between Chastain, Kristen Stewart, and Kirsten Dunst. So. Yeah, I'm very happy that Kirsten got nominated. I wasn't really expecting her not to get nominated, but still pleased that she did because that would have been a blow to my gut. And then I'm really happy that Jesse Plemons also got nomina- nominated because it's really cute that they are both nominated for for the first time together. <laughs> yeah. And very surprised that Jesse Buckley got in, but I'm pleased with that. That's cool. And very happy about Troy Kotzer and Andrew Garfield. <laughs> Disappointed that Javier Bardem got in, but what are you going to do? Super weird about J.K. Simmons, but I don't know, like, whatever. They just love him now. Yeah. I mean, I don't hate his performance in that movie. I think it was one of the better ones, but just kind of weird. And the Best Picture nominations, I'm really happy that Coda got in. That's pretty cool. Mm -hmm. But Don't Look Up is probably not a Best Picture (laughs) material, but it's not a surprise that they nominated it. Yeah. Like, I I didn't hate Don't Look Up like a lot of film Twitter seems to. Like, it was... It was enjoyable, but I, like you said, it's not best of the year. Mm-hmm. And we still need to see Drive My Car. We need to carve out that three hours to watch mm-hmm. that. But I'm sure it deserves it. I mean, there were a, a lot of years. Many of the international features were better than the mm-hmm. actual Best Picture nominees that weren't included. So I was really happy to see Worst Person in the World get in over Aaron Sorkin for being the Ricardos for <laughs> yeah. screenplay. So that was nice. Yeah, Aaron didn't get anything. No, he's a good director or <laughs> screenplay. Is fully acting for Ricardo's because that's apparently all the movie had going for it, which... Wasn't even that great. That's what the actors thought. Like, I'm glad that Gaga didn't get in for 
actress like don't come at me little monsters i loved her in stars born this is not yeah. a bias against her i really love her i loved her documentary that she had out yeah the, i do love lady gaga i just don't think house of gucci was it yeah but also nicole she could have been left out <laughs> yeah. too like i think if you would have swapped out nicole for like Renata Rinsby for Worst Person in the World or Alana Haim for Licorice Pizza. Mm-hmm. I think it would have been, like, one of the great yeah. lineups. But yeah, what are you going to do? Yeah, also could have used Tessa Thompson in there. And How can I forget? Yeah, yes, erase what I just said about those two. Put Tessa Thompson in there. That's, what, that's who yeah. needed to be in Best Actress. And Ruth for supporting. Yeah, yeah. Whenever the movie or the morning started out with Jesse Buckley and then Judy Dench, I I had <laughs> my doubts about Kirsten for a little bit. I'm like, okay, Katrina Balfe missed. What's going on? Yeah. But that, that Judy Dench was wild. Yeah. I'm just like you said. I'm glad Jesse Buckley got in there. I've been a huge fan of her ever since we saw her in Beast, which played at Sundance, because mm-hmm. I love that movie. And Wild Rose. Yep, she's so good. She's mm-hmm. good in everything. I'm just glad she's finally getting this recognition. Yeah. Overall, I think the Oscars did a fairly good... It could have went down a much darker path yeah. and bleaker, but I, I knew Nine Days was never going to get in there. I knew a lot of worthy movies was never going to... Yeah. crack it but pretty interesting about flea getting nominated in three categories mm-hmm. <laughs> and i do really like flea i was a victim of the hype a little bit mm-hmm. from last year's sundance and hearing like everyone hype it up and it's a really solid movie i didn't love it but i was like this is good <laughs> if it won over a pixar movie that would be very very interesting <laughs> i would be fine with that. yeah it'd be fine but it'd be wild if the academy broke their blood pact with disney yeah I think it's, I mean, who knows, but I would either rather it be or it's more likely to be Mitchells versus the Machines mm. over Encanto, but who knows? <laughs> Disney has a stranglehold. Yeah. It was cool that Mitchells versus the Machines got in. Mm-hmm. And also another movie we talked about, it was very pleasing to see how many movies that we discussed on the podcast show up. Like we saw Summer of Soul show up in mm-hmm. documentary, which was nice. Yeah. There's just so many like good choices. Just that overwhelming love for Coda, like you said, really made me happy. I remember whenever we watched Coda, like right after I t- tweeted about like, what do we need to do to get Troy Kotzer mm-hmm. an Oscar? And now he's like one of the main contenders. And I'm like, please. Cody Smith McPhee was great in Power of the Dog, but Troy, he wrecked me. So yeah. <laughs> please. That'd be great if you won. Academy. <laughs> Give it to him. Yeah. I'm looking forward to catching up on what we haven't seen at the Oscar or from the nominations. There's a few. There's a good number, but we'll give our breakdown probably like we did last year before the <laughs> ceremony comes out. Yeah. But until that time, shall we Sundance? We shall. We are here today to discuss the 2022 Sundance Film Festival, and this took us a couple weeks to get out because we had to mentally recover from all of the crazy deep dive we went in. We ended up watching, well, I ended up watching a grand total of 47 movies. Jessica was there for 45 of them. I think she just dipped out on two of the midnight movies that Mm -hmm. did not interest her as much. So yeah, we watched a really good portion of the festival, and I think 
we're just going to do a quick roundup of 10 of our favorites that really stood out. And if anyone's interested in learning more about pretty much all of these titles, we published 34 reviews on geekvibesnation.com between me and my fellow contributors at the site. There's a lot of really good reviews, so I would appreciate you checking out those if you have a chance. So Jessica, what's the first movie you want to highlight? I'll start things off with Cha-Cha Real Smooth. Mm. It's by the same director and writer as Shithouse, the movie, which we haven't seen yet. But this one far exceeded my expectations, and they're already pretty high. I really, really loved it. It was really feel-good and charming, so definitely check that out whenever it comes to Apple TV+. Plus. Yes, Cooper Rafe really made an impression right away with this one. I know this is one of the few that we highlighted on our preview episode that didn't let me down at all. There were a lot of really good movies from that preview episode, but this is the one that won the Audience Award, and it really charmed me. I love him in the lead role, and I really love Dakota Johnson's performance. But I think probably my favorite performance in the movie was more of a newcomer, Vanessa Burghardt, who played her daughter. I thought she was a really lovely addition to the film. And Apple picked this up, and I think that people are really going to enjoy this whenever they release it later this year. The next film is one of the few on the list that didn't actually premiere at Sundance. This is the Golden Lion winner from Venice, and that is Happening. And it is a film that concerns a girl trying to procure an abortion in 1960s France. And this is one of several movies that dealt with abortion issues at the festival. Uh, Compared to something like Call Jane, which we also saw, this seems to be more like the artistically minded movie that would appeal to cinephiles. It's a lot more brutal and a really gut-wrenching experience, but I think it's really well done. And that one is going to be out pretty soon. It's going to come out in May from IFC Films. Yeah, I really liked it. It was very intense, but that's how the situation is. And it's sad that it's still relevant, but here we are. The next film is Am I Okay? And that's about two women who are friends and they are struggling to get through this next phase of their lives. Like they're each growing in different ways. So they're trying to grow together, but also apart in some ways. And I super love this one. It was really great. I love stories about female friendship and relationships because you have a lot of stuff in here that isn't just about friendships. It's about Dakota Johnson's character finding herself and figuring out who she is at an age where it isn't super common in movies to go into that because she's 32. So I want more movies with late bloomers, as they call them, but we shouldn't even have the term. It should just be whatever at your own speed. So I really loved it, and it was really funny and charming. It's not like laugh-out-loud funny, but it's the kind of funny that kind of tickles and warms your soul. So I like it a lot. Yeah, I mean, it did have me laughing out loud pretty consistently also. I really love the writing in this one. I was kind of irritated by some of the takes from people I saw online saying that this one was unrealistic because it just kind of goes to what you were saying about like there needs to be more stories like this because this is a based on a person's real experience. So... (laughs) Finding yourself in your 30s is not unusual. No, not at all. So 
that kind of irritated me, but I also really loved the movie, and this movie just solidified the fact that Dakota Johnson was the queen of Sundance this year, so. <laughs> yeah, look out Aubrey Plaza. Yeah. <laughs> and Kristen Stewart. Yeah, had my personal top two movies of the festival. Yeah. So, good job, Dakota. And I believe that one was picked up by HBO Max, so hopefully people will get to see that one a little later this year. The next film on our list is our first documentary in a year of really strong documentaries, and that is Framing Agnes, which is a really intriguing blend of like documentary and kind of performative. It's a filmmaker in the present day who is trying to explore these transcripts from a UCLA gender clinic concerning trans people back in the like 1950s or 60s, but he's having modern trans people act out these transcripts in like a fake talk show setting. It's really intriguing, and there's also some commentary from some experts in the field to give some more context to how important what we're learning from these transcripts about trans experiences compared to how they compare to today. It's just a really well-done documentary. It was really well-structured. I thought it was inventively told, and I just really, really enjoyed it. Yeah, it was definitely inventive, and I think it gives more perspective on trans history in America, at least, because that's kind of lost, I would say, a lot of times. We're delving more into history of gay and lesbian people, but it seems like trans people have had to wait their turn, in a sense. So I like that this gives more perspective. It's just interesting to hear the real people's stories, Mm -hmm. and I liked how it gave perspective on the trans people who were the actors reading the transcripts. They talked about their experience reading these transcripts and how they're feeling and how it relates to their experience and how it's still like the same. (laughs) Yeah. There's not a lot that's changed. And I do appreciate the inventiveness. I liked it, but I don't think that I loved it like so many other people did. I don't know. Maybe it was just the performative theater aspect of it that was kind of jarring to me, like switching back and forth. Mm -hmm. But I felt myself wanting more of the actors telling me their stories at times and then just whenever I'm getting into their story, it jumps back. And I don't know, maybe like the jumping back and forth doesn't work as well for me, Mm. but it is still good. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe if they had flushed it out slightly more, it was like a really toit 75 minutes. Mm -hmm. So it didn't draw things out too much, but maybe just giving a little bit more context to the performers themselves. Mm -hmm. I think it's a really good movie and it's definitely one that people should check out whenever it's available just to gain that greater knowledge that a lot of people don't know about. Yeah. And we're speeding right along in this journey to the next movie, which is called Good Luck to You, Leo Grand. This one is about an older woman played by Emma Thompson who wants to experience sex in a new and better way because so far she's been really repressed. And I think it touches on sexual repression with both of the characters because you have the male escort that she hires to meet her in the hotel room, who is played by Daryl McCormick. And they're together in this hotel room And it's very play-like. I felt like I was watching a play, which is always fun because I love really intense dialogue-heavy movies a lot of times. So it's really just two people having a conversation and then exploring each other, both physically and emotionally and mentally. So it was very nice to see because we do not get a lot of 
movies about female sexual pleasure or how they are repressed or how uncomfortable it can be with discussing certain things like with their partners or telling them what they need and there's also the things that we don't get into like Daryl McCormick um, who plays Leo Grand the character that he creates his repression because in the past he was punished for wanting to just explore himself and others in a consensual and nice way but he was punished for it and so it kind of broke him in those ways so it's nice to just see two people talking and growing together and I really loved it I hope that we get more movies like this and Emma Thompson's performance was pretty insane it was one of the best that I've seen in a a long time yeah I absolutely love this movie I'm a big fan of Emma Thompson and this She's consistently great. Saying that she's a great actor is like saying water's wet, but (laughs) I I think she deserves everything for this performance because it's so layered and vulnerable and not just for like the obvious reasons, but like emotionally vulnerable. It's just such a great performance. And I like how it does a good job of balancing like the comedic moments with like the really dramatic moments. It takes you on a journey and it's very satisfying. Yeah, because sex doesn't need to be serious all the time. There are funny parts and it can be fun and funny. Mm -hmm. Also, Daryl McCormick was exceptional. Just like his eyes and the way that he would look at her and just like the subtle movements and nuances and it was amazing. Yeah, he was a discovery for me. And based on this alone, he deserves way more opportunities because he was (laughs) one of the best of the festival for me. Mm -hmm. Thankfully, that has been picked up by Hulu. So once again, sometime later this year, look out I think that's going to be one that a lot of people are talking about hopefully mm-hmm. and next let's delve into the world of religion mm. let's talk about the mission mm-hmm. which is one of my favorite documentaries of the festival we follow four young adult Mormon missionaries who are leaving their communities for the first time to go on a mission to Finland and it's just their emotional journey and while you do learn some of like the intricacies of Mormonism and the Church of Latter-day Saints there's a lot of that stuff in there but this is mostly a portrait of these four individuals and like how they themselves have been impacted by growing up in this community and how they are impacted by going to this country where they don't speak the language so there's a lot about cultural isolation emotional isolation from each other due to like their religion and there's just so much packed into this documentary that I really really loved and like there are a lot of preconceived notions about Mormons and like just seeing like the people in dress clothes and ties trying to approach you and discuss their religion but I think this really breaks down the walls of who these people are and gives you some nice insight yeah I really like this one (laughs) I don't think that it's getting that much attention out of the festival, which is weird to me because it's really good. Mm -hmm. It's one of the better documentaries that we watched, and I really like having more of an insight into their world because I had no idea that also girls went on these missions. I just thought it was boys because that's all that I see. I just see two boys all the time, and they'll have their backpacks and they're riding their bikes or whatever. Mm -hmm. I've never seen girls, so that was pretty interesting. And I just like how the movie itself isn't really judgmental towards them, but you get to know them a little bit, and then you kind of get attached to them, and you hope for the best. Mm -hmm. But also, it's frustrating because (laughs) if you, you don't really agree with some of their religion and aspects of the religion, but I don't know, just like being attached and conflicted 
as fun. Yeah. But I like all the kids in it. It's just, I, it seems like most of the criticisms I've seen is people wanted this to be more of a takedown of the Mormon ch- church, but that's not really what, that's not what a documentary should strive to do, like go in with a point of view. It should just be observing and letting people draw their own conclusions, which I think this did a, there was restrictions because this is one of the first documentary crews that have been allowed to film like inside LDS churches. So I'm sure the filmmakers had to be somewhat respectful of some of their practices, but it didn't seem like she didn't purposefully include certain things to make things look better. Yeah. It was also interesting because you could tell that it was filmed in Salt Lake City mm-hmm. because you, you see all the mountains in the background and we've seen those mountains mm-hmm. several times and that's where the hub of Sundance is too. So yeah. it was interesting just seeing the, the mountains and being like, oh yeah, I've been there. Yeah. But I mean, that's like the main Mormon part of the country. Mm-hmm. But yeah, just seeing them do these things, you hear things about the religion and how they think, and then you see why they think this way and how it's almost like they're like creating a little army of youths. It's unnerving, but also interesting. I guess I'm also used to watching a lot of stuff about religion because I'm very interested in it. So I like to watch a lot of the documentaries and narrative movies. So I there are some movies that we've watched that it, it's clear that the filmmaker was trying to take them down or kind of hit them. But it doesn't seem like that's the majority of the time. It just, the majority of the time, it just looks like these people do it to themselves. Like they make themselves look a certain way and that's just how it is. Those are the best documentaries. Yes. Yeah. Like Jesus Camp, that's a great religious documentary. I love it, but it's like creepy and weird just because of what's going on. So, Mm -hmm. but they just do that. That's how they appear. That's Mm -hmm. what they do. So it's not like the filmmaker has to try that hard. Yeah. They'd be like, what? That's what we do. And like, (laughs) yeah, that's crazy. (laughs) Yeah. Moving on to the next film. It is called After Yang. And this is another one that we mentioned in the episode before. It is about a family dealing with losing their android who has been with them for quite a long time. The couple got it shortly after they adopted their daughter to have someone that looked like her and could be kind of like an older brother to her. And he is, I guess the best way to put it is on the fritz. He's not doing so well and he's been glitching. And he is older than they think because he's he's kind of like a used property, like they got him used. So they're just looking into his memories and discovering all kinds of things about him and looking at the world and different ways. It's based on a short story. Those are usually the best with sci-fi. I love them. So it's like fleshed out more. The father is played by Colin Farrell, who's like the main driving force of the movie. He's looking through the memories and everything, but I had pretty high expectations for this movie and I'm going to say that it, it pretty much met them. I thought it was really wonderful and it was beautiful. It looks beautiful. It looks like photography and just like looking at a really well curated Instagram at times. <laughs> and I love the way it, it makes me feel and I love the relationships and the acting. Everything is so like subtle and beautiful and it makes you appreciate life more, which is always nice. Everyone in it was great. Yeah, this is one I did really enjoy. I didn't enjoy it as much as you, I don't think, but I also feel like I need to give it another watch because I was a little bit sleepy while we were watching (laughs) this. But I did really enjoy it. And I thought if I wanted to say what one of my favorite things of the festival was, if I could just take the opening (laughs) intro, (laughs) I won't spoil it for people, but it's just, it's one of the greatest openings, like opening title sequences I've ever seen. I could probably just watch that on a loop for like several hours 
it's a lot of fun. So that was probably yeah. my favorite couple minutes of the festival. <laughs> but the movie itself, it's also really nice. And it seems like one that will reward repeat viewings because there are aspects of it that are clarified. And I wanted to just have a little bit more of an emotional punch for me. But I did really enjoy it. And I think I think I'll get there. I just need to watch it another time. Yeah, it's coming to Showtime. Yeah, that'll be maybe by the time this drops almost. I think it's the first week in March it'll be on Showtime and in select theaters. Mm. I'm looking forward to watching it again. I was going to say something about the title mm-hmm. sequence, but then it would probably give it away. But it, it kind of made me have memories of stuff. <laughs> Maybe we can do like a full episode sometime on this and Mm -hmm. delve into it. I'm continuing the theme of the last movie I talked about and continuing to stay in Finland with (laughs) Girl Picture, which is a narrative movie. And it is truly one of the great joys that I've discovered in this festival. It's a really fun coming-of-age tale. It's primarily three girls. Um, One is like a set of two friends who you primarily see working at a smoothie stand. And there's also a third girl. She's a skater, figure skater, who one of them starts to form a relationship with. While the other girl, she's on her own sexual journey of trying to find her own pleasure. And this was like a theme that I really appreciated with this festival is just not having shame around sex and not stigmatizing anything. How anyone tried to seek their own pleasure. It's very sex positive. Yeah, so that was really nice. These characters, while occasionally frustrating, they're just so believable and real and lovable. It's the type of movie I need more of. I just, it made me feel alive, so it was good. (laughs) Yeah, I really enjoyed it as well. It made me think of this tweet that I saw where this woman was like, while the festival was going on, she was like, Sundance, I dare you, give me one more movie about female sexual pleasure and (laughs) desire." Just one more, because <laughs> there were so many. It was great. Yeah. <laughs> so I really appreciated that about the festival. Mm-hmm. But I liked the three girls in it. I liked the acting was really good, and the story was great. It was interesting showing, like, a different aspect of sexuality that doesn't really get told as much, which is, like, asexual stuff. Mm-hmm. And I really like it. I always appreciate more coming-of-age stories from the female perspective. Almost to the last movie, but not quite. This movie is called Lucy and Desi, another movie that we talked about in the other episode. It is, of course, a documentary about Lucille Ball and Desi Arnaz, and it's directed by Amy Poehler, which was pretty great, and Lucy Arnaz Jr. also helped out a lot, which is nice. I mean, it's kind of self-explanatory, I guess, what it's about, but it's not exactly the way that you think that it would be, because they found these tapes of Lucy talking, trying to do her book, like whenever she was writing her book, and you get a lot of insight on their lives, but you get to hear them talking about it because there's also interviews and tapes with Desi. So it's like a lot of stock footage and them talking, and you have a few talking heads with people who knew them and their lives were impacted by them in some way. So I liked having more perspective from other people that knew them. Of course, you have Carol Burnett because they, Lucy and Carol were super toit friends and Lucy was like a mentor to Carol. So you get to hear a lot about Lucy's mentorship. It's like different stages of their lives. It's more about like their relationship together and how it affected the business and that show and why that show was so amazing and how it changed 
television history and everything and just like almost the way that we look at celebrities like these parasocial relationships like how mm-hmm. whenever Lucy was having the baby it was almost like America's baby yeah. at that point they changed so many things and then it focuses less on the darker aspects of the relationship because it's more just about their legacy what their relationship left behind because you have so many people that were impacted by Lucy's mentorship and then like Desi changing the business changing how TV shows are filmed and then you have like their kids and what their kids did and all kinds of stuff so it's not just all about their relationship the deep dark twisted aspects or whatever because I think we have plenty of those we have tons of movies and books and shows about that part of it and I think Amy Poehler just wanted to focus on the good parts because that's what impacted her the most I mean that's what makes people happy so it was really lovely to see it it's nice to see some of the footage from YouTube that I've seen from behind the scenes on I Love Lucy that's really grainy and not great because it's captured by a fan with like a handheld cam at the time. It was restored and it looked amazing and just some more archival footage from their lives that I've never seen restored. It looks great and just hearing them talk I really liked it. Just something more from Lucille Ball is always good in my opinion. Yeah I thought it was a really good documentary. I mean there were times where I wish they would have went more in depth on certain things and while I didn't need it to be super dark I feel like maybe they could have went a little harder on them or like explored it a little bit more thoroughly. Yeah they were limited with the tapes. Yeah (laughs) so I did enjoy this. I thought it was really good. I just there were times where I felt it was almost too light but I did really enjoy it and I did like it a lot more than being the Ricardos because it did make me feel like I actually got to know more about Lucy and Desi as people Mm-hmm. more than the film ever did. Mm-hmm. And people will be able to see this one pretty soon. It's coming to Prime on March 4th, so right around the corner. Yeah. I just think this isn't the movie that you watch if you want to know everything about either of them. You do actually get more about Desi than I would have thought that they would have given, which is good because he kind of gets shut out a lot mm-hmm. and he's pretty important, but you need to like read and watch more things and then just watch this and it's like a good highlight reel. <laughs> Yeah, I liked being able to see what happened after I Love Lucy, like the Here's Lucy and like some of that stuff, like Mm. I didn't know as much. And seeing like an older Desi like on set and like directing her and like hearing some of those thoughts and it's really interesting. Mm-hmm. Our final film is a delight. <laughs> it's just a something for everyone to look forward to this year. And that is Brian and Charles, which I've heard it compared to this a lot, but it's true. It's kind of like a Taika Waititi film, kind of in a mockumentary format about a eccentric inventor who is always trying to make things that are kind of unbelievable and to make things in his life easier. Usually not perfectly, but one day he decides to build a seven foot tall robot with a washing machine body. And it's just like all these proportions that shouldn't work like in the real world but to his amazement uh, this robot Charles actually works and comes quote-unquote to life and he's able to 
become friends with Charles. So Brian and Charles, they're friends, and they're just so dang delightful. <laughs> like, just going around, they're trying to keep Charles a secret because he's a seven-foot-tall robot, and he doesn't want anything to happen to him. But just Charles discovering the world is so fun. It's just, it's a really nice movie. It may have not been quite as funny as I wanted, but it was very heartwarming. Mm-hmm. I liked it a lot. I wanted it to be funnier at points, but it was fine for what it was. Yeah. And it made me feel nice, and it did give me a a few good laughs. (laughs) I like Charles as a character. He wants to explore more parts of the world, but then Brian being like a, a father, he's sheltering him, and he's afraid to let him go. But... I also like that Charles has a Twitter account and you can follow him. I really want him to follow us. Charles, please. We need this. It's so fun. And for like the week leading up to whenever we finally saw it, I had like the Charles in Charge theme song stuck in my head and I kept being like, Brian and Charles. Yeah, that's been stuck in my head for several weeks now. (laughs) Yeah, I kept singing it out loud, and then you started singing the Charles in Charge song, and you're like, why am I singing this? (laughs) (laughs) I've never even watched this show, but I know the tune. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, but it's pretty great. Yeah, and that one was picked up by Focus Features, and I think the plan right now is to release that on Peacock later this year. So, people, you watch out. This (laughs) This one's pretty fun. Yeah. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Home Dance Film Festival. Join us again next time when we'll have some more adequate Sundance coverage just for you. If you have any thoughts or opinions about this show, you can write us at homedancepod at gmail.com or follow us on Twitter and tweet at us at homedancepod. If you enjoyed the show, feel free to leave a rating or a review. If you did not like this show, I don't know, maybe take a long walk off a short pier. (laughs) Or maybe that's too harsh and you can go kick rocks. I don't know. Also, if you want to, whenever you leave us a comment, if there's a movie that played at Sundance this year that you want us to talk about in depth, just let us know. Maybe we'll actually do it. Like, we watched a lot, but we'll do it. I'm open to suggestions. (laughs) But until then, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at DylanGonzalez2. You can also find me publishing reviews almost daily on GeekVibesNation.com. You can also find me farting around on Twitter. At Jessica Narrates, and you can also find me contributing to geekvibesnation.com. We are proud to be a part of the Geek Vibes Nation podcasting network. Original music for the show is provided by Andrew Carroll, who can be found at musicbyandrewcarroll.com. Original artwork for the show is provided by Ben Belcher, who can be found on Instagram and Twitter at The Art of Ben Belcher. I've been Jessica. And I'm Dylan. Brian and Charles. You know what? I want Charles in charge of my days and my nights. Come on, Charles. Why don't you tippy tap into our dms bye